Well, last week and this week, we're kind of working on the same question, which is how do I discover what the Apostle Paul refers to as my spiritual gifts? And we got one answer last week, which was serve. Just go out and serve. Try stuff, right? When, when you take something that you have and you put it at the disposal of somebody in need and you see what the Holy Spirit does with that, you learn something. Okay, so that's what we learned last week. This week we're going to get a second answer, equally as important, and we're going to get it from the Apostle Paul. So let's pull out your Bible or grab the black book and the rack in front of you, please. Turn to the, to the back of the book to page 964 where you'll find 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I'm going to shorten this a little bit. Let's look at verses 10 through 16. Uh, if you're able, would you stand with me and read aloud as we come before Jesus through his written word. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 through 16. Listen closely, you're reading God's holy word. For to this end we toil and struggle, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. These are the things you must insist on and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Put these things into practice. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Man, that's good. There's so much in there that's good. They only give me 25 minutes. Um, some of you may have seen the movie uh, Crazy Rich Asians, or have you read Kevin Kwan's book? Many of you have not seen it, but in, in, in my opinion, they, they call it a rom-com. In my opinion, it's kind of a coming-of-age story, actually. It's not so much about rich people, the elites of Singapore, as I think it is about an Asian American who, because of a dating relationship, gets swept up into this world that's very foreign to her and, frankly, quite intimidating. And as this world of wealthy elites looks at this one young woman whose name is Rachel, uh, what they see doesn't seem to match up to who they think they are. And eventually, that world starts to influence the way that Rachel sees herself. And in time, she, seeing herself through their eyes, begins to think of herself in, in the same way that they think of her. In, in her words, it's that she's a poor, raised by a single mother, low-class, immigrant nobody. And that's a burden. That's a burden for anybody to feel. And it should kind of tank her spirit in that movie. But it doesn't. I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but I will tell you that there is a reversal in her life, and by the end, Rachel does something 
This nobody does something that literally overturns the world. Now, I tell you that story because I believe that in Jesus Christ, God has redeemed the world completely. But today, through the Holy Spirit, God is calling forth a community of people who, because we know who we are and who he is, are given the capacity to overturn it. And that's why it's so important for us to know who we are. By the end of the movie, Rachel's going to say, for the first time in my life, I know I am enough. And brothers and sisters, with faith in Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, can I just say to you today, you are enough. And this is the point I think that Paul is trying to make to his protege, Timothy, a young man. He's saying, Timothy, I think if he could, he'd reach through the epistle and grab him by the lapels and say, you are more than enough. But Timothy doesn't feel it. See, Timothy knows, I'm no Paul. I'm no saint. I'm no apostle. I'm just Timothy. Think about it. You know that the apostle Paul is a really impressive guy, right? Um, uh, He's... St. Paul, he's at this time, as he writes this letter to Timothy, he's probably in his mid to late 60s. He's experienced. You know, he was famous even before his conversion experience. He was the great Rabbi Saul of Tarsus. He had attained the highest levels of education in his society that day. But, of course, his conversion experience, you know, the flash of light, the road to Damascus, all of that business gets wide press, and he walks around uh, with a really impressive strut. His handkerchief heals people. I mean, he's a guy who does miracles. When he comes to Timothy's hometown, which is Lystra, by the way, that's Eastern Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. When Paul comes to Lystra, he happens to heal a crippled man, and it causes such a stir that all the townspeople come out, and they think that he and Barnabas are Hermes and Zeus, and the local priest of Zeus starts making a sacrifice to him, and Paul has to go, wait, 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 no, no, stop. We are ordinary men just like you. That's what Paul says. But Timothy knows he may be ordinary, but he's not ordinary just like Paul. No, Timothy is young. He's probably in his early 30s as he receives this letter. Uh, Paul says to him, let no one despise your youth. It means let no one look down on your youth. It used to be very relevant to me. Uh, But it is relevant to many of you. That was, wake up. (laughs) Right? I mean, we're churches. We have all different ages, but we have a lot of young people. And, like, don't let anybody look down on you just because you're young. That's what Paul has to say. It means people were doing it. And over time... Paul, Timothy's starting to internalize that and starting to look down on himself just because he's young. Come on. Well, he knows he, he didn't have a dramatic conversion story. Uh, he came to faith in a, a mixed home. His, his, his dad was not a believer. He was Greek. His mom was Jewish. Uh, his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, had gradually taught him the, the faith. And uh, he didn't really have a story. And as far as we know, there were no accounts of Timothy ever doing any miracles at all. 
No, he's not ordinary in the same sense that Paul is ordinary, and yet here he is sent to the big city in, in Ephesus. This is, this is like the New York City of Asia Minor. Here he is uh, in Paul's mission now. Paul's commissioned him. Paul's going to come back. But in the meantime, you be me, he's saying, uh, while I'm away. I, 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 and, and Timothy's going, like, how is that possible? Uh, this is Paul's mission. These are Paul's people. This is Paul's role. And I'm just me. I'm not enough. You see, you, see, you see what makes Paul want to write this letter to him. So what does Paul do? He encourages him. Consider your gift. Consider your unique gift. Forget about me. Forget about them. Let's talk about you. Now, I don't know if you ever feel this way, that maybe you're not enough in face of some challenge that you're confronting, but I want to just tell you, if you ever do, you're in good company. Because virtually all of the people whom God called to do something greater in the world felt that way when God called them. And I just want you to hear, let me run through a quick list of the Moses when God called him. He said, oh my Lord, I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Gideon, when God called him, said, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. <laughs> Hannah, uh, when God calls her, says, he, meaning God, lifts the needy from the ash heap. That's where I've been living. Isaiah, when God calls him, says, woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. Jeremiah says, uh, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a boy. Esther says, if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, which is what she was being asked to do, there is but one law, all alike are to be put to death. I don't think I'm your woman, she's saying. Uh, a Mary, who said, my soul magnifies the Lord, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Didn't think she was fit for service. Peter, when he meets Jesus, says to Jesus, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. You see, all of them are in their own way are saying, I'm not enough. I, I think you got the wrong guy. You, you must be missing something. And even Paul himself, Paul himself, the great apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he writes, I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle. And he tells Timothy earlier in this letter, I am the chief of sinners. So Paul knows how Timothy feels. He knows how you and I feel. It's part of the human condition to sell yourself short. And therefore, Paul uh, writes this encouragement. But what Paul also knows is the power of the Holy Spirit. He knows the power of God abiding in a believer to overcome our inadequacies and limitations for great good. So he's writing him, and he basically says, use your gift. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Look at verse 14. Do not neglect, Paul says, the gift that is in you. Now, this word gift is the word we've been talking about in this series. Uh, the Greek word is charis charisma, charisma. And it actually doesn't mean, it's not the word for gift. It's the word for grace. It's built on the same root for grace. And so I've been defining this, this idea of a spiritual gift as a practical experience of grace empowered by the Holy Spirit. Your, your, your spiritual gift is a practical experience of grace empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, that every believer is given a manifestation of the Spirit. And Lori did a great job talking about that. Every single one of us, if we have faith in Jesus Christ in this room, has been given a spiritual gift, a charisma, an experience of grace. 
And, and Paul uh, wants Timothy to understand this, not to neglect it. And by the way, he has to keep reminding Timothy of this. This is not just a throwaway comment. In 2 Timothy, the second letter Paul writes to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says again, Timothy, rekindle the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of my hands. Light that sucker up again. Blow on the embers. Let it come to life. You are a gifted man. Rekindle that thing. Don't neglect it. Uncover it. Bring you to this situation. Now, what is this gift that Timothy has? Well, we, you know, we don't know. Actually, it doesn't say there's several things that are sort of listed. In the context here, it seems like it might be teacher. There's a lot here about teachers. And you might go, well, that's kind of a disappointment. I want the handkerchief thing. You know, I want to walk on water. You know, I want, I want to speak in tongues, right? I want drama with my gift. And, and, you know, many of us are teachers, you know. Come on, teachers. Well, you know, it's no big deal, right? Anyone can teach, you might say to yourself, right? Come on. And Timothy may have thought about his gift as a teacher in such small terms. And Paul goes, don't you think that way for a second? And I want to suggest to you that there are two mistakes that we commonly make when we think about our own gifts. And, and, and the one is to discount the natural abilities. And the other is to discount the supernatural capacity that God gives through his spirit. I, I, I want you to think about that for a second. I mean, some of us are aware that we have natural abilities and resources, and, and we're pretty proud of that. We're working hard in the academy or wherever in industry to develop those natural abilities. But what we're unaware of is that God has given us those things, and he actually wants to leverage those things in the kingdom work of Jesus Christ. See, there's a spiritual purpose for those natural abilities. On the other hand, some of us are, are really aware of the spiritual world and we're big into prayer and we, we, we pay attention to the Holy Spirit, which is awesome, but we forget that our natural abilities are integral to the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. So there's both. We've been doubly gifted. I like to sometimes think about um, people before they come to know Jesus, how it is that their natural abilities start to get transformed by Jesus and show up in kingdom work. Think of the Apostle Paul. I mean, a lot of the stuff that makes him really effective as Apostle showed up earlier in his life before that Damascus Road experience, right? I mean, he's this brilliant rabbi. He's a smart guy, loves theology. He's got incredible boldness. He's running around, but he's using that natural ability to persecute Christians. Okay, that's not his destiny. That's a mistake. But when he comes to know Christ, those same gifts, anointed by the Holy Spirit now, unleash the kingdom of God. He's the apostle of the Gentiles. He's going around the world with that same courage and intellectual and theological gift. I think of Lydia. Uh, you remember Lydia? She, she was a businesswoman. And uh, she had quite an industry uh, selling purple linen, which is a big deal. That was royal colors. So she's like selling Teslas in the first century, you know. And, you know, she, she, uh, the, reaching the, the height of attainment for those gifts, you know, she might have had like a multinational little empire of, of selling this purple fabric to the elites of that day. But when she meets Jesus through the Apostle Paul, God takes those gifts, anoint them with the Holy Spirit. She becomes the founder, the originator of the first church in Europe. It starts in her house. And God uses that social network that she has and the entrepreneurial spirit to do kingdom work in and through her. I mean, is that cool? So don't discount your natural abilities. On the other hand, don't overfocus just on the Holy Spirit. I mean, don't forget 
You're more than just the Holy Spirit. It's you. I, I remember a student I worked with a number of years ago who had done a really helpful presentation on Jesus in his fraternity. He shared his faith. He was pretty bold. And his mentor came up to him afterwards and said, man, that was great. And he kind of looked at his shoes and said, well, it wasn't really me. It was Jesus. His mentor looked a little surprised. He said, well, if it had been Jesus, it would have been much better than that. I mean, it wasn't that good, right? You know, kind of false humility. Come on. Like you put some time and work into that, and that matters, actually. That's part of the gift. In Exodus 35, we see these natural abilities, supernatural capacities working side by side. And just briefly, you know, remember, God in the wilderness says to Moses, build a tabernacle. It's like a tent where they worshiped. It's fancy. It's elaborate. Moses has no idea how to do this. I've been in the wilderness for 40 years with sheep. What do I know about, you know, building something like that? So he's going to need a brother or a sister who has a gift. And God raises up two people who come alongside Bezalel and Aholiab, and they are people with the gift. We read in Exodus 35, they have both natural abilities and supernatural capacity. Quote, they are skilled persons to whom the Lord has given skill and ability uh, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. They are artists. They've got natural abilities. They have good eyes, good hands. They're craftspeople. They have apprentice. They have practice. They know what they're doing. Okay, they've got natural abilities. But then we read on, uh, the, the, the Lord filled them with the Spirit of God. This is even before Pentecost. The Holy Spirit with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills. These two things together allow God to do what God could do only through this, these uniquely created and spiritually endowed men. And that's what he wants to do uh, with all of us. This idea that there's a sacred secular split, it's only in our heads. It's all God's world. And he gives you the whole variety of these things. And it's really not helpful to try to tease them out or distinguish them. The point of Paul saying, take all that you are, Timothy, if you're a teacher, and teach Take those natural abilities, take that training, take the fullness of your Holy Spirit and the wisdom and power and courage and love that comes from that. Boy, when you bring those things together, God's going to ignite something in you. Don't let anyone despise your youth or anything else. You're more than enough. The gift. Now, I want to suggest to you that UPC is uniquely gifted. It's been my privilege to be pastor here for 10 years, and over those years, I see people from outside come in and get to know you a little bit and move on, and to a person, they are so impressed. They're like, these people have so many abilities and gifts and resources. It's just so exciting to see it, uh, the synergy that grows here. And, and I think there's, there's some truth to that. I'm not sure exactly why that is, but maybe it's that you know, people come to Seattle for education. We've got a great, some great universities here. We have uh, people coming into Seattle to advance their careers, very talented, gifted people. But I want you to, to know what we've been reading here. It's like think of Matthew 25 and the talents and think of this passage, that if God has given us an unusual concentration of gifts here in this community, he expects a lot from us. You see, he expects, he expects a lot from us. So I, I want you to think about your gifts today. I mean, maybe if nothing else, God brought you here just to remind you of what you have. So just take a moment and think about the unique you that you are. What are you good at? What do you really love doing? What's hard for you to do, but you can't quit trying? What are your resources? This is not a time for false modesty. 
and go, oh, well, I can't really do anything that great, or to compare yourself to somebody else and say, oh, I'm not as good as they are. That's only an insult to the God who made you. So what are your gifts? Are you willing today to hold them like this and say, Jesus, they're from you, and today I'm, I offer them to you? There's one other thing I want you to notice here in our text, and it will help us get finally to our question, how do we find our gifts? And it's the relationships. It's the community that's implied in this correspondence. And by the way, you see this in the movie, and I know that you may not have seen Crazy Rich Asians, but I'll just tell you that there's a moment in the movie where Rachel, the main character, this American, is defeated and basically ready to throw in the towel, but she has a, a friend. She has community. This is a friend of hers from college. She's a very colorful, fashion-forward figure. Uh, Paik Lin is her name. And it's a real short scene that you could miss, but it's the turning point in the whole movie. And Paik Lin says to Rachel, you've got exactly what you need. You're a professor in economics at NYU, the youngest, in fact, and your expertise is game theory. Are you going to tell me that you're going to give up the game in this world when you're the expert? And they start talking about chicken. She realizes, ah, they've been playing chicken with me, and I know how to play chicken. I know all about games and managing your losses and fear and anxiety. So it turns out, like, it's not only that... Um, you've got this special gift. It, it's not only that you're more than enough, it's that you're exactly the right person and possibly the only person who can navigate these circumstances. And that insight comes to Rachel through Paik Lynn, through a friend in community, just like the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, hey, let me remind you of who you are and the gift that you've been given because that's going to be the turning point for Paul. We find our gifts in Christian community. That's the second answer to the question in Christian community. Notice verse 14, it's going to continue on. It says, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Now he's going to tell him how he understood he had that gift, which was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Now there are two parts to that. There's prophecy and hands. Prophecy, those are words. Words of encouragement. Basically prophecy are words that say, you got it. Okay, here's a good place to get a definition of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, Paul writes, <clears throat> prophecy is words spoken, quote, to other people under the influence of the Holy Spirit for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Words spoken under the influence of the Holy Spirit for somebody's upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. That's prophecy. Paul's already referred earlier in the letter to the prophecy that had been spoken over Timothy. Apostles, remember that? Remember that you're a part of a community that has spoken of you and to you in this way? The beauty of that? Don't lose track. And then the other part is laying on of hands. And that's basically commissioning. And we do that here from time to time. Basically, that says go for it. Go for it. There's some task, and you're the right person for that task because you got it. The laying on of hands, the most famous illustration of that in the Bible is um, when it first happened, Moses laying his hands on Joshua. Can you imagine succeeding Moses? He was, Moses like the greatest of all time leaders, and now you're taking his legacy and trying to advance it. And Moses puts his hands on Joshua and says, you got it. You're the right guy. Now go for it. 
does it right there in public, in front of everybody. And that's the meaning of what Paul's talking about. It's just a communal event. Here's the point I, I want you to get. You can't see what God has given you until you see you through the eyes of another believer. Can I say that again? You can't see what God has given you until you see yourself through the eyes of another believer. You tend to sell yourself short. And what you need is the believing community around you to say, this is what you've been given. I see it even when you don't. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in the garage, and uh, Dee Dee walks out. Now, I don't you, you remember, Dee Dee was mentioned in a sermon by Lori two weeks ago. And, I, and, so, and Lori said, Dee Dee has the gift of compassion. And when Dee Dee walks into the room, compassion walks into the room. Do you remember that? So I see, I run into her the very next day in the garage. I say, hey, Dee Dee. She looks at me. She goes, I am humiliated. She says, I'm, I, I'm so embarrassed. I said, what's wrong? She goes, I got mentioned by Lori in the sermon as, a, as an example of compassion. I said, yeah, that's awesome. Wasn't that great? It's so true. She goes, it's not true at all. I said, what do you mean? She goes, I, I'm not a compassionate person. I got to call Lori. <laughs> I said, that's, you absolutely are a compassionate. Right? We all completely know what she's talking about. So I talked for a little while, and she said, you know, maybe it was that several years ago, I was with somebody who was hurting, and they lashed out at me, and they said, all I want here is a little bit of compassion. <laughs> and that word, that little critical phrase, stuck in her craw, and, and isn't it isn't funny what we remember, right? She remembered someone essentially saying, you're not a compassionate person. Well, all the rest of us uh, know that that's not the truth about Didi, and she should take in just the opposite. And so we need to speak prophetic words to one another's life in that same way. You know, Didi needed to hear that from Lori, from me, and from many of us, and so do you. We all need this. So this passage calls us to two things. And I just very quickly want to run through them. The first is to receive this ministry. I mean, you need to receive this ministry. You need help knowing who you really are and the beauty that's in your life. So you've got to find yourself into commun in community. That's why small groups are just so important for me and for us as a church. Um, this room is too big. Uh, actually, let me give you four quick uh, criteria that come from this passage uh, that tell us the, the kind of community that does this best. It's a community that's intimate, diverse, gospel-shaped, and prophetic. It's intimate, it has to be small enough where you know people and are known by people. Paul talks about his tears his, of affection for, for Timothy. It's diverse. He talks about don't let anyone despise your youth. It's young and old. He's in Ephesus. We're going to find out this fall when we do this kindred thing that it's all about diversity in Ephesus, unity in diversity. And, the, you know, here's why diversity is so, is so important, to know yourself. But to, and you see this in the movie. When you're in a minority culture living in a majority world, the, the, the subtext of almost everything is you're not enough. You don't fit here. You don't belong here. And so you need a community of, of believers around you to resist all of that, to deconstruct all of that in your heart. If you happen to be in the majority culture in a situation like that, you need minority voices in your life to help you see what you don't see about yourself and even more importantly about Jesus. So it has to be diverse. It has to be thoroughly gospel-shaped. Paul talks here about um, pay attention to the public reading of Scripture because it's there that we get the story in which we really know who we are and what we've been called to, and then prophetic. This has to be a community where under the influence of the Spirit, brothers and sisters are speaking words to one another for upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. 
The second thing we need to do after receiving this ministry is to share it with somebody else. I so long for us to be a community that gets really good at speaking prophetic words to one another. And I know this is so scary for Presbyterians, but can we just talk about this for just one second? I know we like everything decent and order and by the book, we're people of the book. But look, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, or 14, desire the Holy Spirit. Uh, Desire the, uh, you already have the Holy Spirit. Desire the prophetic gift. Everybody should desire to prophecy. So I want you to pray for the prophetic, for, for, for prophetic gift in your life, for that capacity to speak this way to other people, the way Paul, Timothy, Paul is speaking to Timothy. And, and I want to I to practice that here at church today as we see people. Look for words that will encourage, upbuild, and console one another. In your small group, maybe go around this week and say, each person, I, I want, we want you to know what we see in you, the gifts that you've been given. And then, and then uh, maybe in your neighborhood, to speak words of encouragement there. Notice, not words of judgment, okay? We oftentimes think of pro- pro- prophetic gifts as rude gifts, you know, confronting people. Not words of judgment, not words of criticism, not words of advice. Upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. Imagine if just 2,000 of us went out and spoke one word like that this week to one person, the impact it would have. Just imagine, what would Jesus unleash? What would Jesus do with our gifts? What would our neighbors notice? Well, friends, maybe you'll never end up like Rachel at a rooftop party in Singapore, although if you go, invite me. Maybe, uh, like Timothy, you'll never end up the youngest teacher in a major urban center But the pivotal question for them is the same question as for you and me, and that is who has the right to define you? Who are you going to allow to define the possibilities of your life? Is it going to be the world, or is it going to be the one who gave his life for you in love? If it's going to be the world, I can tell you right now that except for the very few, the world will eat you for lunch. But if it's going to be Jesus then you're going to find yourself in a company of people who've been invited into a movement whose destiny is to overturn the world. That's what UPC is. That's who we are. Because, as Paul says to Timothy, we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Let's pray. And as you bow your head with me, I'm going to just take a liberty to invite you to pray right now for a prophetic gift. Pray with me now. God, as we bow our heads, we invite the Holy Spirit, because we're in Christ through faith, we invite the Holy Spirit to bring to our minds a face or a name of somebody who this week needs a word of encouragement or upbuilding or consolation. In this moment of silence, just Bring a person to our mind, would you? Maybe you're picturing that person or you're thinking about their name or situation. Maybe nothing's coming to mind and that's okay. But if someone does, then let's pray again that the Holy Spirit would give us something to say, a message for them. Holy Spirit, now take this person and Take us and speak to us a word, a phrase, or a thought maybe that might encourage them in this way. 
And help us to hold on to those words right now. Now ask him for courage. Holy Spirit, give us the courage to follow through. If we've heard from you now, this is a sacred trust and an invitation to join Jesus on a great adventure. We pray that you will help us now create the moment where we can speak those words. We don't even have to know what they mean, but we just trust that there'll be a blessing to those who hear them. And we pray that you'll do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.